Who's in, who's out? How does it affect the Chiefs? Let's talk about some injuries and more. You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of the KC Laboratory. Welcome to a live edition of the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank, member FDIC, our partners in Possible, uh, the official uh, banking of the KCSN draft guide, all that good stuff. They're just absolutely great to work with. We have loved them being a day one partner with us. I am here with my two day ones, Maddie Lane and Craig Stout. Matthew, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you you were able to get back from the Shrine Bowl in in uh, in one piece here, buddy. I, can you have two day ones? Is this allowed? I think we need to get to the bottom of this. I think we got to dig in here. Um, you got to pick one. Oh, Craig. No, you don't. It's Craig. Um, <laughs> how are you doing, buddy? Disagree. I opt out of this decision so that you all can be <laughs> each other's day ones. So how about that? You like that? <laughs> I'm not a part of this anymore. Uh-huh. Okay, I see how it is. Anyways, uh, we all are back from the East West Shrine Bowl. We had a lot of fun. We got to hang out together for four solid days. It was a just it was awesome. We had so much fun. Had did a lot of content out there at the East West Shrine Bowl. Got to obviously do the post game show uh in some in a in a lab earlier this week from Dallas, which was a lot of fun. Ate Cookies Society. Uh hammered some cookie society uh like they, yeah they, did do that confirmed. <laughs> it's kind of funny because maddie is you know very healthy lifts watches what he eats all this stuff he ate the worst i have ever seen him eat this week it was so great to just l- watch him be one of us finally just hammering nerd gummy clusters doritos okay. Cookies. No, no, do not hear. I saw both of those things occur. No, no. Did I eat a handful of a couple handfuls of Doritos? Yes. Did I hammer four Cookie Society cookies in one day? Absolutely. <laughs> Did I hammer nerd gummy clusters or whatever the hell? No. I tried them one time. I said this is a bad choice. And Craig will confirm. And can you confirm? I was. I was speaking, and the, the word hammer was encompassing all of the junk food I saw you eat. Like, it was like a collection of all of these things. My, and so my that's double, what I was trying to convey. And body has paid for it. Um, if I could take back anything, it would definitely be the nerd gummy clusters. Everything else. <laughs> the one. The one you tried. <laughs> Everything else went great. Uh, my, my stomach didn't like all the sugar from the cookies, but they were so good. Shout out. Shout out Cookie Society. I would I would go through that stomach pain yet again to eat four cookies in a day because it was delicious. Yeah, yeah. Maddie ate four cookies in a day. I house six and I do not eat sweets. <laughs> so um yeah, it was a good time. They're not normal cookies either. They're not like your run of the mill. They are giant cookies. Like he is thirteen hundred calories of definitely working on the pat bot after <laughs> Dallas. Holy cow! I, I think I have to I lose weight like, to get the pat bod. I think it's gonna work. Gotta have twenty 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 pat bod is what I'm going for. <laughs> we're still we're still fighting for the for the early career pat bod right now. You love to see it. Uh, BJ had the audacity to say that the big 
nerds, the jumbo nerds were bigger than or better than the nerd gummy clusters, and I was great. Still talking about nerds right now. (laughs) You guys are arguing about some terrible candies. It doesn't matter. Hey, I'm sorry. I'll stop whining. Like the San Francisco 49ers are already whining about all the hold calls that they're like. I seriously think the Niners are trying to set the chief, like set the expectation that the chief. That's what they should be doing. I yeah, they're trying to do it right now. Like two weeks, they're just gonna they're gonna try to hammer it home this whole time and whine and cope from the fact that they don't have a ring. Do we know who the refs are for this game yet? Milvinovich and his All Star staff, I believe. We do okay. Okay, I couldn't remember if we knew already or not, but yeah, I mean, either way, I think this is a genius move by them. One, there was a semi-con, not even controversial, but there was like a hot topic hold the last two times these two teams played in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs' offensive line leads the NFL in holding penalties. He's not wrong. Nick Bosa wasn't wrong. The Chiefs' offensive tackles do hold a lot, right? And so, like, he's not wrong. Drawing attention to it two weeks out is fine. Like, the referees that are working this game aren't probably so caught up and not paying attention right now that that won't get to them, right? Like, there's a chance they hear this and, like, it's already going. So I don't know. I think it's a smart move by the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, what what is one of the things that has cost the Kansas City Chiefs games this year? Shooting themselves in the foot, mainly through penalties and turnovers. Well, you can't really dictate too many turnovers on defense. You can only do what you can do there. But, man, you can really plant that seed in there to try and get it more... First and 20s or second and 18s and try and tee off on him there. So, I I mean, I understand what he's doing. Like, he's trying to play all those games early. Um, I also have seen this Chiefs football team take that sort of stuff, magnify it, and then utilize it. I mean, yeah. hell, we, we, we saw it this past week. What were the Ravens? So. What were the t-shirts last year? What were the t-shirts? Oh, oh, you mean the the zero sacks ones? The ones where they said, oh, the where the Eagles said, oh, these guys aren't very good, and mm-hmm. oh, we're gonna bring that, and then they allowed zeros. This team uses that as fuel, and you better believe that they are hearing Nick Bosa say that they're gonna be on their P's and Q's. They're gonna be holding penalties. That's just gonna be what it is. But man, you it, we gotta we 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 gotta go with this. And realize that the Chiefs are going to use it just as pure fuel here. Can't wait. So I cannot wait. Um, Doug yes, Pettit, you're asking if if Bill if Bill Vinovich worked the Super Bowl live. He did. Thank you, Maddie, uh, for just you know yep. just just steamrolling and answering a question that the audio only listeners did not know was happening. So thank you for that. Correct. Um, I I, I want to get into everything. Like we'll obviously get into so stuff you know. here. Because uh, we have some discussions about the the injuries that we want to get to at some point, uh, depending on. You how can much. tell we've spent too much time together because, like, there's no flow right now. It's just me constantly interrupting Kent, like we're back in person. <laughs> this is normal, which doesn't uh, stop when you know the podcast ends. By the way, as a matter of fact, it typically magnifies. He's a lot more respectful of Kent's uh, time and efforts on the podcast <laughs> than he is in person. Well, you tried. I'm trying here to put a professional podcast together, but uh, you know, alas, here we are. Um, I one one thing I I loved, I know I just one thing I love from Patrick Mahomes here from today, talking about you know preparation for the Super Bowl and the back to back, you know, the fact that this team is in back to back Super Bowls, and he made a comment that just. I love, and it makes me feel very good about this team heading into this game in a week and a half. 
he said, um, kind of paraphrasing, you know, we went into the Super Bowls back to back the last time around. We felt good about it. We thought we were going to, you know, play well. And then they got the break speed off of them. Um, and so, like, it felt like there was like a just maybe un like the confidence levels were too high. The, you know, the belief that they were going to walk in there and just do what they do was, was too high. I love that that's the that's the thing Pat, Patrick Mahomes is reminding people of. I love that's the perspective that P Patrick Mahomes is bringing to all this. If he's the one that's kind of leading and guiding that, I love that. I absolutely love that because I don't think he's, he's going to let anybody rest on their laurels because he has been to back-to-back -back Super Bowls in his life before. The Chiefs, I think I counted, have five players that have been to back-to-back -back Super Bowls before. Uh, that's almost as many players as have been to the Super Bowl for the Niners. If you wanted to know, I might have been counting a few of those. But just, I love that. I love that that is the, I love that that's the kind of mentality that this team is kind of carrying into this week. And I love that Mahomes is kind of setting that expectation for this team. I think it's great. I think this Chiefs team has had the right mentality. I mean, all playoffs. Uh, I think I mean, Mahomes, it obviously starts there and with the coaching staff. But I think, excuse me, Travis Kelsey said it the best on New Heights. They weren't in a joking mood for for the Ravens game, right? And so the Justin Tucker thing, where Justin Tucker was, yes, trying to be a nuisance, but trying to do so in a fun-loving way, the Chiefs just weren't about having that. That wasn't what this game was for them. It was strictly 100% business. And I, I think they kind of had that right mentality. I think in years past, there's been some, yeah, this is fun. We're, we're having fun on the way to this very serious game. This year, they seem to be a little bit more, you know, bootstraps are pulled up. They're just kind of mucking through. And I, I like that. That's what this team kind of is right now. They're not just finding a way to win in games they shouldn't win. I think they've been the better team at all three playoff games they've played once the, once the whistle has blown and started. But it's not always pretty. They don't necessarily have this, oh, if everything goes perfectly, we're definitely going to win. They kind of do have to yuck up the game a little bit. You There's an eight-minute clip of Patrick Mahomes mic'd up that came out of this game. Half of it is him telling the offense to catch the ball and hold it high and tight. Literally just don't screw up is what half of the video is him saying to the offense. And like, that's kind of their mentality. So like, I think that they have shifted their mentality this year at this point, the exact right way that they need to. I do not foresee for a second this team losing that edge, losing the goal in mind for everything that they have going on from everything we've seen. I think they will 100% be ready for this game against the 49ers. And I do think, there's a little bit last time they got the last time they got it to this point on a back-to-back, -back, they kind of got blown out. Injuries played a big part, but they got beat down pretty bad by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that sticks with them. I think they want this back-to-back. -back. I think it means a lot to them. So I think they're going to kind of be ready. Okay. So regarding this, um, I feel supremely confident. Um, not trying to get too far into matchups and stuff like that. That's what next week is for. We'll get there. I feel very confident in the Chiefs' ability to go out and handle business in this Super Bowl. The last time I felt this confident about a Super Bowl was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I said this to Kent at about 4 o'clock in the morning on Monday <laughs> when we were in an Uber on the way to the airport. I was asleep. I, I Yeah, Maddie was asleep. Um, I... I keep having this thing where I'm like pegging back and forth between being supremely confident, realizing how supremely confident I was 
with Tampa Bay. He even said, our good buddy Trevor Sycamore, I was on a podcast with him, and I said at the time to him, like, he said, you don't have an offensive line. And I said, it's not going to matter. Patrick has played without an offensive line for a large portion of this year. They'll just shift things around. Things are going to be okay. I had faith in it because I'd seen it in the playoffs. Now, not to the extent that we obviously saw it in the Super Bowl. That's my fault for underestimating how much that matters. Now I'm staring at an injury report here that does not include Charles Minnehue. So the pass rush is going to take a hit. It's looking like Joe Tooney. We're we're gonna see, but it's it's fifty fifty at best for Joe Tooney to play. I have faith in Nick Allegretti, but is that faith misplaced? We're looking at multiple different players here, multiple different things that have gone right in the Chiefs this postseason. We don't have to go much farther than a month back to witness what this offense looked like and to witness how poor it was. I have supreme confidence that the postseason playoff, you know, the playoff version of this offense is going to show up. Playoff defense of this of this team is going to show up. It showed up all year long. I'm not worried about the defense, but that these receivers are going to catch the ball. They're going to take care of the ball. They're not going to turn it over. They're not going to make stupid mistakes. They're not going to do all that stuff. I have this irrational confidence that what we've seen so far in this postseason is going to continue into the Super Bowl because I should. And then I have that little nagging moment in the back of my head that says, I did this for Tampa Bay, and I underestimated how much that could change and how much that could fall apart. And that football team, on offense specifically, was a significantly better football team that executed at a much higher level and just got fully derailed by one position group getting completely depleted. Again, a month ago, this offense looked bad, just pure bad and now here I am thinking oh I really like this this matchup on that side of the ball I think this offense is going to score points am I overestimating or underestimating the impact of what these injuries are going to bring to the table here I I think it's again it's a great question and it's a grounding question you know because I think we all walked into a trap of just unbelievable belief because the Chiefs were still defending Super Bowl champions walking into the next Super Bowl. And we believed that Mike Remmers was going to be able, and, and Andrew Wiley were going to be able to hold up at the tackle positions because we saw them play against the Bills for 10 minutes in the second half. And, you know, they can get rid of the ball. And this is how they can do it. And we just kind of ultimately believe... Um, I think the the parallels are 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 a little difficult to draw, and I'll get to that in a second. But I do want to ask you guys real quick off the top, which player do you think is more impactful of a loss for this team walking into this game? Do we think it's Charles Amenahue, or do we think it's uh, Joe Tooney if he doesn't play Maddie? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say Charles Amenahue, but it's more because of the trickle-down effect. I, I think there's a, obviously a step back from... Joe Tooney to Nick Allegretti, but I think we saw them get challenged by a more complicated defense this past week, and at no point in time was it a significant problem. There are reps you can pick out in the pass protection. There's definitely some you know, some, some run game mistakes that actually Allegretti, I thought Allegretti played better in pass protection than he did in his run game. I thought that there was quite a few missed blocks in the run game that could have gone for bigger, but like, this isn't picking and, you know, picking on him. Uh, he's clearly not Joe Tooney, right? But he was nothing about 
losing him really sank what the Chiefs offense was trying to do. On the flip side, once Charles O'Minnehue went down, yeah, there was a couple drives there for a while where the Ravens offense still didn't quite have it figured out, but as the game wore on, they did find more success. Now, part of that was the Chiefs defensive line getting a little tired, but guess what? When you lose an entire player, that happens, right? When you lose your second best one-on-one pass rusher, that's going to happen. You are now losing, like without Charles O'Minnehue, this four-man pass rush comes back to Chris Jones, please go work your magic again. Not saying George Karloftis hasn't improved, but this team doesn't rely on George Karloftis to win one-on-ones. That's not his game. He's the cleanup guy. He's the effort guy that chases stuff down. Anytime he gives you a clean one-on-one win, it's almost counted as like a bonus. And I don't mean this in a bad way. That's just what he is. So you take away the secondary one-on-one pass rush winner, that's rough. That's a tough spot to be in. And we've seen this Chiefs four-man pass rush stall out before in the past. So I just do think that Charles O'Minnehue probably ties the hands of the defense a little bit more than Joe Tooney does for the offense. It absolutely does. This four-man rush will suffer because of it. I would guess that Felix Anaduke Ozama is going to be active for this game and is going to play dime reps in this game. So that helps a little bit. You have a guy that at least has speed and bend around the corner, but you're probably not lining him up in the base defense. You're probably not lining him up when the 49ers have Christian McCaffrey, Juszczyk, and Kittle on the field together because you're going to be matching that with base. You don't want Felix in those scenarios the same way that you were okay with a Minahue in those scenarios. So it does change your four-man rush plan. But that being said, this is a one-off. We're not talking about, okay, this is towards the end of the season. They're saving some stuff for the playoffs and things like that. Steve Spagnuolo is just going to turn the page to where it says blitz in his playbook, and he's going to say, all right, look at all these things that I haven't run yet this year. And Brock Purdy's been really good against blitz. I'm not trying to say he hasn't, that he's just going to get supremely affected by that. But we've seen a lot of quarterbacks that are really good against the blitz. Spags' blitz is different. This isn't just, oh yeah, we got some five-man pressures that we're bringing. This is different. This is way different. And so from that perspective, I think they're still going to be able to get pressure. I think they're still going to hit Purdy. I think they're still going to be able to affect him in the pocket, even without Charles and Minahue. I'm a little worried about the offensive line without Tooney. I love Allegretti. He is my favorite interior offensive lineman that doesn't start in the whole entire league. So I I absolutely love Nick Allegretti. He he is so valuable to this team. I'm so glad he's on it. And he played as well as he possibly could against the Baltimore Ravens. This 49ers defensive line is just packed full of guys that can win one-on-ones and win them cleanly. Yes, he went up against Justin Metabuke. He did a pretty good job of preventing him from getting into the backfield regularly. I expect that he's going to do, again, a pretty good job against this this 49ers offensive line. But we're talking about a first-team All-Pro in Joe Tooney. It, it, it's one of those that he is just such on a high pedestal right now with what he does, what he picks up. They're going to test him. They're going to bring Fred Warner, Hufanga. They're going to bring Greenlaw in the A-gap. They're going to test the communication between those guys, and it's going to be up to Allegretti to pick it up perfectly capable of doing so, but to expect that he's just going to go out there and play just the same as Joe Tooney, I I don't think that it's going to be there. So I'm actually on the other side of that because I think the Chiefs will be able to blitz more. So 
my small pushback is just, and we'll talk about this more next week, the 49ers don't blitz often, and even yep. when they do, it's super static. It's, we're going to show you the blitz, and that's where we're coming from. It's like, yeah, the the tests for Allegretti will be real. I just don't know if there will be the same level of mental tests as there were last week. And that takes me back to the point. I think Allegretti's a competent player when you put him in there. If the Chiefs can't get, or like, design in the pulp for him or design, help have it designed that, hey, we know that Eric Armstead might be Nick Allegretti. What's our escape plan? Knowing that pre-snap, I think, does a lot. And so I just, I feel kind of okay because of how the 49ers play defense tradition. Now, maybe they change it up for this game, right? Who knows? But I just, the 49ers defense probably doesn't take advantage of a backup offensive lineman as much as the Ravens would, was is my general thought. And I think that's fair. You know, I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment. I'm also not putting anything past like I know we've sat here and talked so much about how static the Niners are. I'm curious what the wrinkles that they try to bring into the ta- bring into the table are. You know, to just to try to. I mean, they got two weeks. What are they going to try to throw at this? What are they going to try to specifically attack? Right? Are you know that just because they haven't to this point doesn't mean they won't. You know, this is like I said, a one-off game, and I think it's kind of foolish if you just want to line up and be who you are against the Chiefs. I know, like some. I don't know if it's the hubris. But that's what I was just, getting ready to say. Like now I'm pegging back to the other side where I'm like, ah, Chiefs will be able to handle it. it it's but, just, it's a confidence level. Yeah. For well, it's, it's, I, I, play, though. some teams are lined up and play teams that rely on their talent. Like that's their scheme, right? This goes yeah. back to don't drop Justin Houston into coverage. We're like, no, that's the scheme. That's the defensive scheme. This is what we have done. Do I think that do I think the 49ers will have changeups? Will they mix stuff up? Absolutely. They're gonna have off-speed pitches, but are they gonna come out? And, dis- and roll coverages and disguise blitzes for 65% of the game, probably not, right? And so that's just where I draw a little bit of more comfort from losing out, from Tooney not being able to play, whereas I don't see such an obvious and easy solution saying, okay, FAU, go fulfill Charles O'Menehue's role or go take Mike Dana's reps. It seems like that's going to be more exploitable by the 49ers, and I think Allegretti is just based on how they play. And and I'm gonna, I, I did... I'll- yeah, go right ahead. I just want to correct myself. I did say Hufanga. Yeah, Hufanga is out for the year. Sorry, guys. Talano Hufanga. So yeah, yeah. See how that name's pronounced. Um, Charles Menehu only played six snaps in this game. Uh, the, against the Ravens this last week, only played ten percent of the snaps. So we got a pretty good sample size of this team having to play some reps. We got a sample size of this team getting worn out by Lamar Jackson at the end of the game. Pass rush was non-existent, all that stuff. I think Malik Herring can step in and do an admirable job um, against the run. So, like, yeah. I think that's a, I think that's like a, you know, if we're looking at, hey, earning the right to rush the passer, earning the right to blitz Brock Purdy, I think Malik Herring can step in and do a nice little job there. And yeah, this might be the Felix Andy DK Zama opportunity. You know, we saw, you know, and this is going to sound really bad, right? But we saw Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore make big plays. In the Super Bowl last year, uh, that helped this team win a football game, and we, you know, pointed to those moments as reasons for optimism for the future. And I know it kind of burned Chiefs fans this year, but if Felix Enedike Uzama comes out and plays a role and has an impact in this Super Bowl, there's a lot of reason to be excited about that. There's a lot of reason for optimism uh, heading into 2024, and I. I you know, this this first 25 minutes kind of sounds like we're being downers. It's actually because we're supremely confident. And I think 
I think that belief kind of permeates throughout Chiefs fans right now is, you know, we've all been here. We've done that. We've been to a second Super Bowl. And like, I think it was so smart of Craig to kind of phrase that and ask that question because I feel real good. The Chiefs yeah. are currently dogs and I don't get it. Uh, on DraftKings. Um, promo code KCSN. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, there's reason to at least ground us a little bit in the realities of what some of these potential injuries could do to to affect how this game goes. And so, like, I think that's just kind of why we wanted to frame that conversation, have the conversation the way we did. Matthew, you had uh, you had a couple questions for us, I believe. I do, I do, I do. Here, um, one, yes, very confident in this game. Get more of that <laughs> next week. But uh, even with these injuries, I'm still very confident. I'm, I think it was good to have this talk because I, as we talk. We are, I think, all going to come across as very confident in the Chiefs in this game. So I think prefacing the next week of coverage with, hey, we did this before against Tampa and it completely bit them, wasn't a good conversation to have. I just don't think it's the same situation. Now, and, and, and I know you got questions, but I do want to add some additional context that I think is important to this. I'm sorry. I just, I remember I wanted to say this. Okay. Um, the Thanks, last buddy. time, the last time we were supremely confident, the injuries were not, the injuries were a lot worse than they are now. It's not oh, wow. just Joe Tooney and Charles Minnie. Uh Patrick Mahomes was playing on turf toe. Um oh yeah, and by the way, like a lot of off the field stuff was happening during that time. Um yeah. a lot. And I will just say, because we're a few years out removed, one thing I had heard a couple years ago is that off field stuff affected that team and and it affected that version of that team a lot more than we realize on the outside. So that's something I'd kind of heard um in the past. So we're far removed from that. I think this is a different kind of situation. Patrick Mahomes is the healthiest he's been ever in a Super Bowl, maybe. Oh no uh, the Janal. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on yeah how getting punched in the face um help or hurt him. But yeah, I you know I, I feel good. I feel really good, I, and I, I feel good, I think, partially just because of how grounded I think this team is, you know, and how grounded their leadership is, and how business-like and workman-like this all is for them now. That's part of the maturity that we've seen out of this organization and their quarterback and their leaders, is how they approach this is a lot like Tom handling number seven, you know, ring seven, six, all that. I love it. I love where this team's at. I don't know how they're underdogs still. Anyways, Matthew, sorry. Yes. Um. Question: Would you rather trot FAU out there or sign Frank Clark for one game? That's a great question. You all know how much I like Frank Clark. I think he's cooked. I think he's cooked. I, I and I think if I think if he had juice left in him, he'd be. He would have been on a roster somewhere. I again the Miami Dolphins. Could have turned around and signed him instead of Justin Houston. I mean, like that's it. I I think he's a little bit cooked, and I think <clears throat> some of the like for like things that you get out of FAU and a Minnesota, it's not it's not fully like for like. I don't mean to make it sound like that, but that speed, that burst, that explosion, that bend off the edge. He is one of the few guys that can win quickly. I realize we haven't seen it much, and he's been a healthy scratch all playoffs, so I'm not expecting that it's just going to walk right in and hit it, but he's a lot more like-for-like like 
and healthier than I think Frank Clark probably is right now. I'll just add, if Frank Clark was on the roster for the last month, maybe, you know, if he's been in a camp, if or if he's been in, you know on the roster, if he's been getting work in, if the Chiefs have had eyes on him for a month, maybe. But I don't think there's any chance. It's, but, and obviously, it's not going to happen because he's not here. Um, he would have been here by now. I just, yeah, I think it's still, I think it's FAU. And that, that sounds like I'm not, it sounds like a knock on FAU for saying that. And it's just, there's a championship pedigree to Frank. And Frank, you know, has given this team a lot of good football. So I, I get the sentiment. I would trust Frank with 10 snaps far more than FAU in a single game sample size. I don't care. It could be next year rolling off the couch. If it was the same situation that we've seen this year, he could be a year removed from football. And it's not, this isn't a negative FAU thing. This is the whole point. He's a he's been a healthy scratch. They're going up against a team that's going to want to run first. Do you think I want to trot FAU out there and against a run first team? I mean, no. And they're going to throw misdirection. Frank Clark for 10 snaps given two weeks. Now, he's not here, right? So, like, it's not happening. But if you had given him two weeks to prepare for 10 snaps, he is going to pick up on at least one tendency that is going to show up in that game, whether it's sniffing out a screen, sniffing out a counterplay or something. He's still got the mind for football. So, like, I would have felt good had he already been here for that. It's obviously not happening. We are going to get FAU, so we will see how see how it rolls. But, like, if there was a chance to put the Shark in there, I think that even beyond just between the whistles, I think he would probably account for a bigger impact based on what I think we've seen so far. And this is the follow-up question. Charles Manny's at a torn ACL. He's going to miss some time going into camp in next yep. year. How does this alter your outlook on the offseason, the draft, setting this defense up next year? I know a single injury probably shouldn't impact it, but hey, he's only on a two-year deal. Next year's his last year. We have Chris Jones coming up on, on a contract year. Mike Dane is coming up on a contract year. All these guys, uh, Derek Nottie, all these guys' contracts are up. How does not having a healthy Charles Amenehu all summer in camp impact your outlook going into the offseason? I think we're going to find out a lot about what this organization feels about B.J. Thompson and FAU very soon in free agency. I think if you see them make a move, I think that they don't feel confident that those guys are going to show up and do what they need to do, at least immediately there. And again, you can never have too many pass rushers, so I wouldn't read into it like if they go out and they make a mid-tier signing, it's not, oh no, it's doom and gloom, these guys suck forever. No, it's not anything like that. But if they don't, it means they have confidence in that. And I realize that this is also the football team that didn't really want to add a wide receiver this year. So take that as far as you can go with it. I understand. I'm just saying internally, I think they would feel pretty good about FAU and BJ Thompson. Okay, so um, (laughs) we've talked a little bit about this, and like I think I said, like, yikes. When we were talking about, like, the early season defensive line could be really ugly in 2024. Um. It might, and we might wind up having the whole wide receiver conversation over, uh, with 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 the defensive line. I think defensive line. I think you got to address the defensive line early. More, I I like. I think you've got to make some really smart, savvy signs to add some veteran ability on into that defensive line. And I don't know if that's edge. I don't know if that's defensive tackle because you've got the Chris Jones situation. I think I think I feel uh, I think uh, Charles Amenehu's injury is massive because he was coming on strong. He was coming on real strong. He was looking good, 
he finished the season with seven sacks. I mean, like he was, and he was ultra productive in the back half of that season. And now you aren't going to get him to start the year. You don't know when you're going to get him. Your number one pass rusher is a, a wonderful role player in uh, in George Karloftis. But you're losing Dana, Mike Dana. You're losing no, Chris. hey Dana. Maybe I mean that might did be part of projection. I mean, I I didn't I'm eight and a half sure million dollars, eight and a half per year. I'm would. still on board. Yeah, absolutely that, would. Yeah. So that's, me and, Matt, me and Craig are on board, strong. and Maddie's no, out. That is strong for me for a guy that I think is so far down a pass rush packing order, and I get everything else he does, but Mike Dana's. Rush production is so dependent on everybody else. That's a lot of money for me. But with the Ominihue injury, I would maybe start to change my tune. That's where I start to maybe change my tune. Without Charles Ominihue being healthy, paying Mike Dana that on a you know, one, two-year deal even, you at least buy yourself that that time where Ominihue's working back next season. So I get it. But if or, everybody was healthy, I thought that number was a little insane. Or... I mean, if they win another Super Bowl, maybe you uh, maybe you roll the dice a little bit on a thirty-year-old Chris Jones. Yeah, and I mean, I mean they, they're going to put an RFA tender on Malik Herring. That seems like the most yeah. obvious move in the world. So he's still going to be on the Big Malik too. But yeah, it's I, they, you know yeah they no, they can't. FAU's got to take a step. They're going to need him badly, but they've got to invest in the defensive line. Darius Robinson from uh, from Missouri is looking real strong this week at the Senior Bowl. Um, maybe he's pick 32. And hey, look, I'm calling it pick 32 because I feel good about it. But, uh, you know, I think they're going to have to... I, I think the defensive line might move to the front of the line because the receiver room is deep enough or the receiving class is deep enough that they could get a quality receiver in round two and take a defensive lineman in round one, you know, and then figure the tackle situation out too. At some point, we're going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. We appreciate you supporting KC sports network by listening to our podcast. You have helped us become the highest ranked chiefs podcast network in 2022 and 2023. And don't forget about our daily Substack newsletter, the best written analysis you can find on the chiefs straight to your inbox every day. KCSN.substack.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, thanks everyone that's hanging out with us. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of time we have until this game coming up next Sunday. Um, we've got two more shows coming up after this. We spent 35 minutes largely basically talking about this upcoming game and some of that stuff. But we wanted to do a little bit of conversation towards the future, kind of how we were ending it before this break. Talk a little bit about the Shrine Bowl. We were just there for a week. Want to talk about some of the prospects we saw out there. Uh, some of the players that we like to think we think would be good. First, we have a super chat. First, we have a super <laughs> chat, then we're digging in. Okay, sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you off yet. Flapjack City, yeah, you, you got to name five wide receivers, and we we can ensure that one of these five wide receivers ends up on the Kansas City Chiefs, so we're going to name five. I'm going to remove the top three guys. Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, uh, Ramadunze, all all off the board. Mm. We, can't, we can't pick those three. So we can, kinda, we can trade back and forth, or you guys can just rip off five if you have a five. I mean, Troy well, Franklin's be, in there. Like, yeah, I, I Troy Frank, Franklin yeah. from we'll Oregon should absolutely be there. I think that's, uh, I mean, probably the right spot in round one for the type of player that he yeah. is. He'd go earlier in a lot of other drafts, but he can do a little bit of everything, and he's a vertical stretch guy. So, like, I think he checks so many boxes for the Chiefs that that he makes a ton of sense. So, on the same note, okay, can I, I go now? Linear? Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna I was just gonna pair somebody. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Similar, similar guy. Just Brian. Yeah, no. I think that's a good. I think that's a good way of doing it. Vertical, yeah, a vertical threat guy. Um, can really stretch the field. I think there's a lot of untapped potential there. He didn't really break out to this final year. Really big guy. He's like six four, two hundred ish pounds. Has light foot, light on his feet. I think he gives you a T Higgins like player. Only I think he's fast, right? So like I think he gives you a true vertical stretch with some good size. I just think he makes sense in that same kind of role as Troy Franklin. That's two guys. What do you got? Kate? Okay, can I? I will go with a like. So we you just talked some of the vertical stretch stuff, but I'll go with one of the guys that I really like as far as a concept. Right. So you have the vertical stretch guy, and I said this on Twitter the other day. I think the Chiefs need two receivers, be it free agency, draft, whatever. They need a vertical stretch guy. They also need someone that's going to be a reliable, consistent route runner that's going to see the field the same way that Patrick Mahomes sees it. You know, those just grow on trees, um, but. I think Glad McConkey could actually do that. Um, I really like Glad McConkey out of Georgia. Follow. Yeah, nickname Seven Eleven. Um, exceptional route runner. I think you've seen that this last week. Um, flat and friendly to the quarterback, which is something that we've seen this team. Like if 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 you need a, a route run to a correct depth, he's going to run it to a correct depth. Um, I've seen him run some option routes. I've seen him make good decision with some of those option routes. He's a 
you know, slot, middle of the field kind of guy, slot kind of receiver. He can run some Z, but he's an elite route runner that's going to get open wherever you line him up. And I think he has some versatility wherever you want to line him up too. Not the big, but that's the big knock on him other than that. Like, I, he's just, I think he would be an incredible fitness offense. I have another one, but you go, Matthew. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, you can throw it out there. We'll all kind of see if, like, we all kind of agree. This is a five thing, so just throw the lob a name out. You so, don't have to sell a whole pitch yet. Okay, so Jalen Polk from Washington is also another one of those guys that I think is just an exceptional route runner, really smart, was really well coached. Same kind of thing, flat and friendly to the football. He's going to run his routes to this correct depths. I think he did a good job seeing the field there as well. I think he's more of a true Z type receiver if you want than a Lad McConkey. So, you know, depending on the skill sets and how you're grabbing all those guys, but I think he can move. I think Jalen Polk can move around too. I think he's just, he's another guy. He's a little bit bigger than Lad McConkey. Um, but I, yeah, I love him too. I think he just is just smart and sound and just, I think that would go a long way with Patrick Mahomes, especially seeing some of the struggles that we've seen from this team. That's what we've seen. So I'd love Jalen Polk too. I think Polk does a lot of the dirty work of a wide receiver, right? I don't think that, I think he's a wide receiver too. Like, I think that's kind of where his ceiling ends and not like a, and not like a super dynamic where T Higgins was with the Bengals where, Froggles, sorry, um, where like you start to say, oh, maybe he's a wide receiver one, right? Like, I don't know if he ever gets that spot, but I think he's a very competent, very solid wide receiver two that does the dirty work, that can win over the middle of the field, that can win versus zone, that can win downfield, can be physical and win contested catches. So I, I am fine putting him on on this list here. I think that's a good four. I think he's a little different than those other guys, but I, I like him here. I was going to suggest him. So, Craig, is there a last person that you want to make this list of five guys that we have to the Chiefs end up with one of them? Yes, absolutely. And we'll transition right into Shrine Talk. So, yes, this is going to work. Our guy, okay. Malik Washington. I would like to call him my guy, but I think at this point, he's everybody's guy. Um, Virginia <laughs> wide receiver, not a Big dude from a tall perspective, uh, I believe five uh, nine. He may have clocked it just under that, Maddie. You you would be I the think one he did. to remember that. But uh, 192 pounds, and when we first saw him at the Shrine game this week, walking out of the field, but actually we interviewed him before he was even on the field. Walked up to us. He's built like Tyreek from a a kind of size perspective. Now he's not fast like Tyreek, which is. <laughs> probably going to be available much later but he's got such a good feel for where to sink into zones where to sink into routes it is uncanny the way that he finds space and we have seen Patrick Mahomes with guys like Juju Smith-Schuster Travis Kelsey Rasheed Rice that he really thrives with guys that can find space can find and operate in those sorts of areas of the field he's a pretty refined route runner not the most refined route runner but a pretty refined route runner with strong hands and strong yards after the catch ability watching him sink into routes is fun like he he really does well dropping his hip sinking into the route selling what he needs to do there's a little bit of nuance there and I think he's just going to not get drafted high in this draft because a it's a really good wide receiver class so you're going to see a lot of teams they're going to take guys with traits and ability in round one and there's plenty to go around and then you're going to see a lot of guys get focused on the traitsy guys that typically go in the back half of round one and early round two that's going to be all of round two and maybe early round three Malik Washington might legitimately slip through the cracks because of that 
And he's just a really good football player. In Virginia's offense, one that was not lighting the world on fire by any means, he had 110 catches for 1,400 yards and nine touchdowns this past year. Came over from Northwestern the year before, told us, and we're going to have this interview for you guys on KCSN later on this offseason, but told us he wanted to go to Virginia because he liked their master's program. That's what it was. He, he was really scouting for schools, liked their master's program, showed up, played football at a really high level. Teammates love him. Coaches love him. Everybody we've talked to loves him. He might go a little bit higher just because of the football character element of this, but seriously, put this man on my football team. He led think, college football and catches this year, by the way. Yeah. Um, no, I so, think he's yeah. a good fifth guy. Sorry, Troy Franklin. Uh, we said Troy Franklin, Ladd McConkey, Brian Thomas Jr., Jalen Polk, and Malik Washington were the five guys that we were kind of yep. talking about. She ended up with any one of those guys. We feel very happy. Do we... Never, we'll, we'll move on to another. We'll talk We'll talk draft as we keep going all uh, down along the roads. Do you have any more Malik Washington, Kit? Well, I want you to DM me the question you were going to ask. We can talk about that later separately. I will just say right now, I think of those five guys, four of them I feel really good if they're the earliest investment into a wide receiver. Correct. One of them I don't feel good about being the earliest investment in a wide receiver. He's not the only investment in that (laughs) offseason plan in that line. He's not the only investment. You've got to add another dude there in free agency. I just think it's one of those that if you make a splashy free agent move, he really would fit in really well in yeah. round three. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. And so now we're on to the Shrine Bowl because Malik Washington was there. We're going to talk about some players in the Shrine Bowl, but we're doing it. We're using Wyota's ranking scale here. It's no, time. Not. It's not the burger Stop scale. It. It's no, Wyota's Matthew, we're not doing this. Scale. Listen, I'm, I'm vetoing. The is good uh-uh. for the society no. cookie. If they are mid for us, they are a Doritos snack. And if they aren't, they are a nerd's candy. That is no. what this is how we're doing. So Malik no. Washington, I think we all Matt, agree is a cookie society cookie. This is right, listen. This is one of the episodes before the Super Bowl. And there's a lot of people listening, and we are not doing that. I'm vetoing on air. This is unbelievable. The chat Malik is, is cookie you. society. Malik is definitely a cookie society cookie. Chat. Let Kit know this is a great idea. It's a terrible idea. Let's talk about some players that we liked before we get out of here, though. Let's get on. Yes. Matty, you can use your scale if you want, but we're not sticking on it very much. Like oh, we are. This is the like a top 30 football podcast in America right now, and Maddie wants to bring it back to gummy clusters. People like to have fun, Kent. Um, so here it is. Let's stick to the wide receiver position. Let's go to who was the best wide receiver at the Shrine, I think, during the practices all week. Taj Washington, wide yep. receiver yes. out of USC. Another small guy. He is definitely a slot. He is definitely slot only. He is definitely a cookie society. Cookie, probably the banana pudding one because whoo, that bad boy was good. Um, Taj Washington is super quick, excellent route runner. Like His route refinement is perfect. He knows how to tempo routes. He knows how to attack leverage. Excellent hands. He made a handful of catches of the day down while we were at the Shrine practices. He is looking pretty good in the game before we got going live on the show while I was watching. It's like Taj Washington's, I think, a little bit more um, team-specific, role-specific than even a Malik Washington. But man, what he does well, he does incredibly well. You put him in the slot, you have him run two-way goes and be this possession slot wide receiver that has some vertical ability. 
you're you're going to be a happy team. So yeah, I, I love Taj Washington down there. I thought he was one of the most impressive guys in, in the whole entire thing. Yeah, Taj is going to be slot only. Weighs in the low 170s. Um, so not a guy that... I, I had a lot of questions about his phys- physicality coming into this. You know, USC kind of played him off the line of scrimmage quite a bit. Protected him a little bit when they did have him up there. We saw him struggle with some press. Shows up in the Shrine game and nobody could press him. Like, they couldn't. Uh, they tried to get, you know, a lot of times you see coaching staffs come out and they say, okay, well, we want to see some stuff. We really want to see guys come up and, and hit guys, guys yap at guys. So they they try and get defenders to play certain ways against certain wide receivers. They tried everything they could to stop Taj Washington, and they couldn't. And it wasn't one of those that you see in OLDLs where you see a guy up at the line of scrimmage and he's dancing and it's taking three seconds to get off the line of scrimmage and, you know, not OLDLs, wide receiver DBs, one-on-ones. And, you know, he wasn't doing that. It was clean. The releases were clean. The breaks were clean. He saw everything into his hands. I remember the play, uh, very last day that we were there, Maddie. that, you know, he ends up in the corner and the quarterback throws it late on a corner route to the back pylon And DB gets a chance to recover and make a play on the ball because he's tempoing his route to try and stay inbound. DB makes a play on the ball, swats it up into the air, pushes Taj Taj Washington. It is an incomplete pass. Taj Washington came down with this football and got one one foot in still. It was a collegiate touchdown, but only got one foot in. One of the most impressive catches that I saw that wasn't an actual catch, and it was entirely because the ball wasn't out on time because he had his guy cooked. So mm-hmm. it, it, he was just every day he looked even more impressive. And that's not what you always see. Typically receivers, you know, these guys, offensive players come out with a good stuff day one and look really good and then hang it up. Taj got progressively better as the week went along. He bought Tavis Bryant a ball too. He caught it between his legs. He made a yes. diving, like one handed attempt and it got fell between his legs and he pinched it between his legs and had to get up pointing to the ref uh, there. So yeah, it was a lot of good guys. He was cooking. Uh, I want to move on to a guy that I very much enjoyed talking to and was had a very good week. Uh, South Dakota State National Champion Mason McCormick. Uh, so another played cookie, cookie. cookie, big cookie. Uh, he's eaten several cookies. Some would say probably um, in his life. Big offensive lineman. Uh, played. He's kind of a taller guy. Played center. Played some guard at the East West Shrine Bowl. I thought he was fantastic. Um, he, you know, coming from a lower level you know, of football, and like, be honest, like, I've seen him play against Iowa, you know, 2022, and he acquitted himself well. And you watching him this week against a higher level competition, he had absolutely no problems whatsoever. He was one of the best players in this entire thing there. And he has, he showed some inside, you know, some, some versatility, center guard versatility that I think will serve him well at the next level. I would love to see him. Uh, I mean, if the Chiefs wanted to take, you know, because of their interior offensive line attrition that they're about to have, you know, losing some guys in 2025, grabbing a Mason McCormick along the interior, that flexibility that could step in in case of an injury and kind of be that, you know, number one replacement for one of their interior offensive linemen, I think could be absolutely massive. Uh, I, I think it could be a huge asset for this team and someone that could potentially step in and start at any given time if they needed to, and be a big piece of 2025 and beyond, honestly. I mean, Mason McCormick was the best football player there this weekend. I I don't feel bad saying yeah. like he 
he was typically, you know, guys rotate around and they see, you know, certain defenders that are going to give them trouble. They threw everybody at Mason McCormick and I rarely saw him give up any ground. He was fantastic. They kept doing best versus the best at the end of practices. And Mason McCormick was always the offensive line that they trusted to go out there, lock up a defensive lineman and win the rep for the offense. Like it was consistent. And, you know, he, he was a guy that when you talk to him, you just understand. It's like, this is all business. This is, I, I mean, he, he, he's just so laser focused. He was there. It was a very enjoyable thing, but watching him go on the field, flip that switch, play his physical talk, talk when defenders, you know, he was letting guys know that he was winning reps too. So it was really fun to watch him this week, Matty. Yeah, no, it was. I agree with you guys. He was one of the best guys there. He showed off the versatility. Super, super stout and strong in the in the pass game and the run game, but he has the athleticism to run guys around. Like, you really weren't going to see a weakness. You didn't see any weaknesses during the practices or anything there. Also started off strong during the game. He uh, was blocking kind of on the play side of a couple of uh, uh, there it goes long runs there. So, good play. I, great. It's your turn to give us a guy. Do you have a Cookie Society guy, a Doritos, a Nerds? As long as we're saying, just because we're on interior offensive line already, um, my guy Hunter Norzad, I was high on him coming yeah. into this Penn State center, very high coming in to this week, and I felt like he was really good. Christian Mahogany was a better interior awesome. offensive lineman for Boston College, but he's gotten a lot of hype. Mason McCormick grabbed a lot of headlines. Hunter Norzad was really good. Had some rough go in the very beginning in OLDL one-on-ones. But every time that he was in team, he was terrific. Passing blocks off, pulling around the edge. Then he grew into the one-on-ones as the week went along. I even said to these guys at one point, it's like, there's your new Allegretti. Like, that's the dude. That's the dude that I want to take in day three, put him on this roster, and he's just going to play every interior position that is out there. Played a little tackle, we found out. Went to, you know, went... Uh, Played at, uh, what was it, Cornell, I believe, before this. Yes. But played tackle at Cornell. We know Andy Reid likes guys that played tackle and kick inside. So he has played legitimately every position on offensive line. That screams Nick Allegretti. Came over to Penn State, and the step up in competition was not too much for him. And then it wasn't too much for him at the Shrine game. So he had a really good week. I'm targeting that guy in day three of the draft as a depth offensive lineman for sure. Yeah, this is a guy that Craig had watched that I hadn't watched yet, and he was pretty high on him, and I got to see him there, and I, I got it. Like, not necessarily overwhelming with anything, but just technically sound. Always in the right spot. Very few losses. So I, I thought that if he was he had a good showing. I get another one here. I, I want to give it a Cookie Society, uh, but I'm going to have to go with Doritos for my guy Jarius Monroe out of Tulane. Stop. Because, because I hadn't watched him until this, and <laughs> had him out there on day one, he's playing safety. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's pretty good. He's he Him and another safety that might come up or might not was getting everyone aligned. They were the ones communicating. They were doing a good job in the back end being opportunistic, and that was day one and day two. And I said, huh, I haven't watched him. Let me circle his name to go watch because I hadn't seen him yet. But then day three rolls around, and they put my man at corner. And the first thing I notice when he's playing at corner, I look at Grant and I go, oh, that safety can actually cover like yeah, he's looks good. His feet move. His hands looks really good. And then we heard him come over to the side. Like one, he's been talking trash this whole practice, like all the practice. whole time. The whole time. You know yeah. where Jarius Monroe is. He comes to the sideline. He goes, "Man, 
I'm so happy they put me back at corner. I missed this. And lo and behold, he's an actual quarterback. They just had him playing safety just because. <laughs> and so the rest of this practice, he's at quarter. He's They're doing red zone. He's jamming a guy at the line of the scrimmage that's taking five seconds to get off the line of the scrimmage. And during all of this foot fire, stutter steps, and just walking, he's telling him mid-route, you're taking too long. <laughs> this isn't going to work. And then he ends up stuffing the play, gets a breakup. Later on, he has an interception in red zone. Like, he actually played corner exceptionally well. They also had him playing safety where he looked good. I love the trash talk. I love the communication skills. So I need to see more to elevate him to a cookie. But right now, he's a solid, solid Doritos, like the purple bag of Doritos. No, he was really fun to watch and made plays. And it just, you watch a guy like that, and the immediate thing that clicks into mind is Steve Spagnuolo. It's like guy that can nah. play both of those sorts of things and play them well. And another guy that did that, uh, Dodrian Taylor Dimerson out of Texas Tech was the best DB that was there the this week. Love it. Played safety. Um, when, when we go to Cookie for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. When we go to practices, one of the things that we like to try and evaluate is who's leading the defense. Who's being the vocal leader? Who's being the one that's organizing everything? Snap one, play one. Taylor Dimerson is out there screaming, yelling, organizing everybody, moving everything around, and it didn't stop. All get, you know, basically the entire week, he was terrific, really getting everything together. They didn't even want to throw anything over the top at him. And when they got into one on ones, he held it, he held his own really, really well as a safety. So another guy that you look at that it's like, man, he could got he's got coverage ability, he can kick down, he can play deep, he can do a little bit of everything. Steve Spagnola would love how organized he is on the back end. You know, you want to talk about a safety that you can try and add a little bit later in the draft, maybe not anymore after the week that he had. But I don't know how late. Know, I don't know how late anymore. Like he he really was that level of good. But man, if he's around, like if the Chiefs get to round four and he's there, put it put it in chalk. Like, put it right next to Lajiri Sneed, right next to Chamari Connor. Just just write it in there. Right there. He's gonna be a Chief. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that one. I got two more. I got we will get out of here. We got I gotta get some defensive linemen out here. We gotta get some pass rushers and stuff going on. So mm-hmm. the the Murphy twins out of UCL's UCLA, I thought were by far the best def- defensive linemen. They yeah. kind of looked better than everybody else. Um, Gabriel Murphy in particular, I think he has more juice, a little more bend on the outside. Um, so I thought Gabriel Murphy looked better than everybody else. He just has the pass rush plan in the burst. And then Christian Boyd, defensive so tackle. Oh we got to talk to him. To Blue yeah. Springs! From Blue Springs. From, he went to Northern Iowa. I, I you know, it's he's a weight room guy, right? Um, friends of ours that are big in the, you know, like weight room and scouting and high school football know who he is because of some of the stuff he has done, like off the field in the weight room and stuff like that. Then you get out there and it doesn't take long to see that stuff show up on the field. He was extremely disruptive in one-on-ones or in team periods. You could tell when he was on the field for team periods and when he wasn't. Yes. That's, yes, you don't usually get that. Like he was good in one on ones, but his team period stuff might have been better. So just Christian yep. is a defensive tackle from Northern Iowa. The Murphy twins from UCLA, a defensive ends leaning towards Gabriel Murphy and like a Bryce Huff type role as a designated pass rusher. I, w- I do want to add this about Boyd real quick here, Kit. You got something? Are you trying to send us out of here? You trying to close oh, yeah. this out? You know it. You know oh, it. 
I had some Christian boy takes. I was about okay, to Okay, get your Christian boy takes off. I had some too. That's what I okay. so go right ahead, buddy. Um runner pass was exceptional. Yes. Like he was yeah. disruptive both both run and pass. Uh, but the caveat I was going to add, because like everything Maddie said is 100% correct, he's strong, like grown man strong, 320 pounds, but he doesn't look 320 pounds. He wears it extremely well. I got to spend a little time talking to him. So we're getting ready to interview him, and you know, there's a little bit of delay there, but um, I started talking to him a little bit about just, you know, like, hey, I, I knew who he was. I knew he was from Blue Springs. At one point, he was a Kansas commit. Um which you know, he, so he was he was at one point going to be a, a a a division or an FCS player. I mean, he looks every bit of an FCS player now. What the what he's done and what he's put together, you know, on tape and all that stuff. Um, but just a good kid, man. And from Blue Springs, proud to be from Kansas City. A big Chiefs fan has a Chiefs uh, tattoo behind his ear. Uh, I think he said something. I, I I won't say that part. But uh, no, it's just it was it was I. I'm like I'm yeah I'm just I'm really I'm rooting for him and I hope I hope the Chiefs one will put him in Kansas City because I think he'd be an exceptional fit in Kansas City and getting a KC kid you know another from the Metro too you know back to back drafts with kids from the Metro would be kind of cool as well with Felix last year and Christian this year be a lot of fun so I I'm I'm a big uh, I'm a big Christian Boyd Boyd fan I'll be rooting for him wherever he goes hopefully not yeah so and we loved loved loved. Uh, you know, uh, Keandre Coburn coming out of the Shrine game last year. We talked about him a lot. Christian Boyd has way more pass rushing chops. Oh, yeah. Keandre Coburn had, but displaced the line of scrimmage on every run play. And I mean, every run play. This man took the center at when he was aligned as a one tech, took the center three yards into the backfield every attempt he could. And then they'd just go ahead and kick him over to three tech and he would win against the guards as well. He's still a dev guy, still needs some seasoning there, but he's got juice. This is not just you're taking a nose tackle and asking him to line up and just take up space. He has legit juice. He is, and I realize there that the comparison that I'm making here, a little bit like Colin Saunders, except more powerful, I would say. Mm-hmm. than Better Colin against the run. Better against the run. Doesn't have the same first step or the same sweet feet that, that Colin did. But in that sort of mindset, if you've not if you're not, you know, familiar with Christian, it's kind of a similar sort of thing where you can ask him to play one or ask him to play three and not feel like you're just getting nothing out of either position there. So I I would really love Christian Boyd to be on this football team. Cookie Society. That's gonna do it for the Casey Laboratory. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate you. We love you. We'll be focused on the, you know, Super Bowl again. Next week. Again. Next week. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. We'll catch you later. Sad. <laughs>